Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm happy you joined us on our podcast today. Let me bring you up to speed if this is your first visit at This Week in the Word. We're in a series of podcasts entitled The Great Rapture Debate. And we're talking today about hope, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So we'll read that in just a moment. But let's, let's think for a moment about the whole concept of hope. I was looking online and, and perusing various song titles that had to do with hope. This is a great one, maybe the greatest one I found. The title of the song is Department of False Hope. (laughs) I've never heard this song, but wait for it. It's by a group called Bad Religion. (laughs) So we all probably are going to rush out and uh, bring up that song so we can hear it. Department of False Hope by Bad Religion. We think of Fleetwood Mac and their song title. It doesn't have hope in it, but it's about you know, hoping for a better future. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. And then we think of a song. It's an oldie song I heard uh, just a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago by Dusty Springfield. And if you're an old guy like me, you know the song I'm about to mention, Wishing and Hoping. So it goes, Wishing and Hoping and Praying Won't Make It So. So that's a great, uh, great song title as well. You know, hope is important. Hope in our lives is like sunlight is to flowers. And the problem comes the day hope dies. So our goal every day, every week, month, and year is to keep hope alive, right? We want to make sure that that we're not losing hope. Now let me give you a, a perfect scenario You know, if you ever see this happen, you know that hope has died. You're on a Mediterranean cruise, and you just happen to notice that the captain and all of the crew are secretly boarding lifeboats to get away from the ship. My friends, you know that hope for that ship is gone. So that's what that would feel like. And hope is not really that foreign a concept. For example, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm guessing that within the last 24 hours, you have gone to sleep. And I see 100% acknowledgement of that. Thank you very much. What I know is when we go to sleep, we hope to wake up, and most of us do. So it's, it's not that unusual of an idea to exercise hope. Well, if you weren't with us, I think three, two or three podcasts ago, episodes ago, you will, you will need to know this. When Paul wrote and thought, uh, wrote to and thought about the Thessalonian church, he knew that they were a church that was characterized by the the great trilogy in the Christian faith, and that is faith, hope, and love. And let me read, you don't have to look back there, but let me read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 so you can see where he mentions this. And let's go to uh, verse 2. 
we continually give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, unceasingly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I read that, by the way, from the Mount's uh, reverse Greek translation. So that might be worded somewhat differently than your King James or other translation of the Bible. But notice there that he mentions the trilogy, faith, hope, and love. And you know that from Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, that faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. So you've heard that before. Well, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to find here that it seems like their, their faith and their love were doing just great, but it appeared that maybe their hope was slipping just a little bit. So let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain." But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, let's, let's plug this in. Let's apply this very short chapter of 1 Thessalonians here. 
You see, Paul had been to Thessalonica, a city in Greece of his day, and it's still there today, by the way, a very large city. And he went to the synagogue for, I believe I'm correct in saying, three Sabbaths preaching Christ. Some believed, many rejected. But a brand new church was born. And Paul taught them during those two to three weeks, however long he was there, he taught this new church the Christian doctrines. And they began to grow in their knowledge of Christ and and grow in their Christian faith. And he even taught them about the fact that the Lord is coming back for his church in an event called the rapture of the church. And it was a very young church that he taught this to. So by the way, if you're thinking that Bible prophecy, the rapture, the second coming, the antichrist, the tribulation, all the things that we know about in the New Testament, especially from the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, that those things are too hard and too deep for new Christians. Paul didn't think so, and he taught them that if they lived long enough, they might be in the generation, uh, the, the church alive at the time when the Lord came back to take his church to heaven. But if they died prior to that event, they would immediately be with the Lord. So he had taught them about these things. Now, here's the problem that started to happen. People began to doubt that, and and some teachers began to teach that Paul was incorrect, that there would be no rapture, there would be no second coming, or, or because of the troubles that the Thessalonican believers were going through, that the rapture had already happened, they had missed it, and they were now in the tribulation, capital T. And also, some of their loved ones had, had apparently died in between the time Paul had started their church and wrote this letter back to them. What about them? They, they missed the rapture. Are they, are they going to miss heaven? So there were a lot of questions abounding here in this great rapture debate, and it's still going on today, by the way. It's not new but this letter really nails down the doctrines we need to remember. So if you think of faith, hope, and love, those great three virtues of the Christian faith, think of them as a three-legged stool, you know, just a little stool like a, a child might have. That stool works great when all three legs are there, but if one of those legs becomes wobbly or falls off, that stool is unstable or may not even work at all anymore, right? So hope was like one of those legs of that three-legged stool, and their hope was wobbling. They were starting to, to have some doubts here in this great rapture debate. Their hope was sinking fast, and they were hanging on to hope with, with one tired, slipping hand. And Paul wanted to to encourage them and establish them. And we're, we're really going to see him dive into that in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. But here he's, he's concluding some of his thoughts about how wonderful it is that he had gone into Thessalonica 
preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of the Jews initially from the synagogue believed on their Messiah, Jesus, and other non-Jews, the Gentiles from the city, many of them began to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. A church was born, and Paul wanted to make sure that they would they would hold fast to not only faith and love, but also to their hope in Christ. You see, if you think of their hope like a like a uh, fuel tank gauging on your car dashboard, then their hope meter was almost on empty. <laughs> that little that little needle was was just barely bumping the e that. They were, they were losing hope, and Paul wants to strengthen them. Let me tell you why losing hope is an issue, especially for a Christian. And you'll see this addressed as we finish the letter of 1 Thessalonians in the next uh, couple of weeks. You see, when you begin to lose hope, that affects your reality or certainly your perception of reality. If you begin to lose hope, it affects your morality, how you behave. It also affects your spirituality and your theology. So losing hope begins to affect your entire well-being, you see, as a Christian. Now, when Paul wrote this letter of 1 Thessalonians back to these beloved new Christians, this new church in Thessalonica, Greece, Paul was at his lowest point to this, to this point in his life. I believe this was his lowest valley so far, although he would go through deeper ones at the end of his life. Let me tell you why I say that about, the, about Paul. And I want you to think of it like this, and I don't mean this literally, but sort of figuratively, if the Thessalonians lost hope, Paul would almost lose hope as well. Now, now, again, not literally, but it would have an effect on how he felt. Now, let me tell you why he was so low and what was going on here. And this is all just very practical, very understandable. The last couple of places Paul had been, uh, mainly... Um, uh, Philippi and Thessalonica, and then then it even happened in Berea. So the last three places Paul had been on his missionary trip, you know, three times in a row here, Paul Paul had faced, uh, you know, all together, he had faced being attacked verbally and, and just personally. He had literally been beaten in some of these episodes and he had been jailed and had his, after being beaten, had his, his hands in stocks and his feet in stocks and chained up. And it, it, was, it was getting harder and harder. And also from Thessalonica, we know that he wrote this letter from Athens, Greece, which by the way, being in Athens was an experience in itself very few people believed in Christ in Athens, and this must certainly have had a, a discouraging effect on the apostle. Remember, the apostle Paul 
it, though many regard him as the greatest Christian who ever lived, uh, and you know we could discuss that, but a lot of people look at him that way. He was only a man. He was subject to the same uh, uh, discouragements and pressures and so forth that you and I go through. Now, so not only had he faced attacks, beatings, and jailed, being jailed while he started those churches in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica, but also he had walked, if you get out uh, your Bible and look at that part you never look at called maps, or you look it up online, by my estimation, he had walked physically about 300 miles from Thessalonica all the way down to Athens. So I think he was tired as well. And by the time uh, we know from, from his letter in 1 Corinthians and we know from the book of Acts, by the time he left Athens and went to Corinth and started a great church there, he entered Corinth, he says, in fear and trembling. And that doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about the Apostle Paul. Yet, after everything that I've described that he went through, it makes complete sense. He was in such a condition that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him to strengthen him in his ministry at Thessalonica, uh, excuse me, Corinth. And he was assured that nobody would bother him there and that he would establish a great church there, which he did. So it was a, the loneliest of times so far for the Apostle Paul. And he's literally alone in Athens while he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. So he sends Timothy back. We see that in Verse 5, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, that would be the devil, have tempted you and our labor be in vain. In other words, let me, let me put it this way. Paul was wondering if what he had done in Thessalonica had actually worked. Were they really Christians was it really a church that God established through him? Would they make it or would they just, you know, wipe out? And he, he was concerned about this. So he sends Timothy, his right-hand man, back to Thessalonica. All right, in verse 6, where we read, we read it again. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, so there's that faith, and that love again, that agape, that God kind of sacrificial love, and that you have good remembrance of us always. In other words, they weren't doubting Paul in, at all. They weren't looking down on him like some of his enemies told him they should. They loved Paul, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. I mean, listen, when Timothy came back and gave him this good report about the church at Thessalonica, Greece, Paul was excited. <laughs> Paul said, your faith is on track, your love's on track. But the one thing he didn't mention here was in, uh, literally, directly, is hope. And so you, you might say, well, you know, uh, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, here it is bad. 
because they, they like that three-legged stool, they would need the three Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love just, just being there and, and flowing in full power. And Paul had found out, although it's not detailed right here in this third chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul had found out when Timothy came back that, hey, they, there is a great rapture debate going on in Thessalonica. Their, their faith, you know, check it off. Their love, check it off. Hope, question mark. They're, they're fading just a little bit, Paul, on that hope thing. You know, I think of a story of the late great evangelist Billy Graham when he would travel the globe and go to major population centers. And by the way, that's exactly what Paul was doing. Uh, you know, as he made his way through Greece, he went to Athens, he went to Corinth, but he went to those other towns as well. Uh, Paul would go to the large cities and, and preach in the synagogues initially, wherever he went. Well, Billy Graham did that as well. Now, you know, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. Billy Graham uh, never came to Columbus, Georgia, all right? And I don't blame him. I mean, compared to Atlanta, Columbus, Georgia is a small town. It's grown a whole lot lately, but but it's not Atlanta, Georgia. Well, Billy Graham preached in Atlanta, Georgia. He preached in Dallas, Texas, but maybe he didn't preach in Denton, Texas, for example. You get the idea. Go to the large population centers. Billy Graham did that. And he had a what is called a crusade. It's an evangelistic campaign. And he had one in London. And the, the British newspapers were merciless against Billy Graham. They thought he was a backwoods hillbilly from America preaching these, these backward ideas from the Bible. You know, they were, they were tough on him. Billy Graham even went to the Oxford Union where, the, where people go to speak and debate. And he preached Christ at the Oxford Union. And yet this began to get to him as he was pummeled by the press and doubted by the so-called intellectuals of Great Britain. And he began to wonder is, you know, he knew the answer, but he, but he faced the question that they were raising, is the gospel of Christ enough? Can you bring a simple message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. Could you bring that simple message to an elite, sophisticated, urban center like London, England? Is the gospel of Christ enough? Critics were saying that it was all emotionalism, that the reason people made decisions in the the preaching services is the the choir made them emotional. The songs that were sang made them emotional. Just as I am being played during the imitation time just w was working on people's emotions. It was all emotionalism and not true Christian conversion. Well, these things began to bother Billy Graham quite a bit. So one night... 
he had discussed all of this with, with his team, his evangelistic team, the singers, musicians, the choir from the local churches in the area, and they decided that the gospel is enough and we're not going to use any music. I can't remember if they sang anything earlier in the service or not, but when the, when the decision time, when the invitation to accept Christ was given, they played no music. Billy Graham just simply said, if you want Jesus Christ to be your Savior, come. Come right now. No music playing. And for a second or two, which may have seemed like an eternity, no one moved. And then people began to come and thousands came forward to have Jesus Christ become their Savior and their Lord. My friends, the gospel of Christ is enough. It is enough. And Paul wanted to strengthen the Thessalonians in their faith. Let me give you a true story of the gospel being enough. And I know this story to be true because I lived it. Years ago, when I was a pastor of a church in Columbus, Georgia, and I pastored that church and two others after that, I made what is called a, uh, an evangelistic visit to someone, to a family who had visited our church. I had the privilege, me and another person visited the home of Bobby and Doris Davis. I mentioned them by name these uh, 30 years later because I know that they both still walk very closely with the Lord Jesus Christ. I shared the simple gospel with Doris Davis, uh, the person and I that went to visit her, and she asked Christ to be her Savior and Lord. Well, my mother and father were also in the church that I pastored at that time, and they were on our evangelistic team as well. They went back, I, th I think that same night, or it may have even been a few days later, I can't remember that, but my mother and father went back and shared the gospel with Bobby Davis, Doris's husband, and Bobby Davis Sr. prayed to receive Christ. They were both, and I'm going to use this word, I don't say this a lot, they were both gloriously saved. They were. And then over, over the, uh, the year, shortly after that, their son, who, who was real young at the time, but he, it wasn't very long, maybe a couple of years, but Bobby Jr. prayed to receive Christ as his Savior and Lord. And Bobby Jr. is now married to Bridget, and Bobby serves in the United States Army. And I'm sure that their children have been led to faith in Christ. Do you see the pebble and the pond effect there? The gospel was shared in all of its simplicity. And Doris received Christ, then Shortly after that, her husband, Bobby Sr., received Christ. Then shortly after that, Bobby Jr., their son, received Christ. And, uh, then, and children and grandchildren after that have become Christians. The gospel is enough. And when we have faith, hope, 
and love flowing in our lives, we can go through anything. Now, let me talk for a moment about this hope that was seemed like it was getting a little wobbly with the Thessalonian Christians. What is this hope that's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse, uh, what is that, verse 3, I believe. We read it just a minute ago. That hope is not the same as our English word hope. You see, I can say, Wow, I hope when I go to the buffet today, they've got barbecued chicken. And that just means that I I sure wish they have some, I would enjoy it. That's not this word here. This Greek word, elpis, and another form of it, elpizo, is not a, a, like a hope so faith, like I just said about the barbecue beef or chicken. It is a no so faith faith. You you know something. It means you have an assurance in advance about what you have hope for. It is expectantly looking forward with pleasure to an event or to something. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have two, two prisoners in jail one has the hope of serving his five-year sentence and being released. The other has the hope of parole, but he has to serve three consecutive life sentences. Do you see the difference there? The first prisoner is expectantly looking forward to the day he will have completed his sentence and he is released. He served his time. The other, because of the length of his sentence, realistically has zero hope of ever being released. But he often talks about he hopes he will be paroled someday. That's like a wish. That's like something that, you know, a 99 to 1, it's not going to happen, right? Now, can miracles happen? Yeah. But you, you see what I'm saying. The one is able to look with certainty to the day he will be free. The other one says, well, I hope that I can get before the parole board and I hope they grant me parole. That's not very solid, is it? We have the first kind in Christ. We have the assurance, the certainty that we can rest on completely that the Lord Jesus Christ is returning for his church. If I live long enough, I may be in the generation of believers, the church that is raptured out of this world. And I'm telling you, as I look around at the news and technology and the Bible and everything that I can see today, I have the feeling that we are literally living on the edge of rapture of the church. And I'm excited about that. So it's not that I hope the Lord returns. I'm assured of that. I'm expectantly looking for his return. Well, this is what was starting to get a little wobbly with the Thessalonians. And it affected not only what they believed, but how they behaved. You see, if you think the Lord is about to come, 
for the church, then it's going to positively affect how you live your Christian life. You will want to witness for Christ. You will want to read your Bible. You will certainly pray throughout the day, just conversationally with the Lord. You will want other people to know about Christ. It'll help you make better decisions. It, it just helps you. But let me show you something that, that's really important right here about this hope we're talking about. In the great rapture debate, 2,000 years ago, and even now, critics of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, and I love them, you know, for the most part, they're my brothers in Christ, I'm sure of that, maybe even everybody. But those that, that, uh, that doubt that doctrine and teach otherwise will often charge us as believers who believe that Christ is coming prior to what we call the tribulation, capital T, you know, in Bible prophecy, the Antichrist and Mark of the Beast and all of that, they often charge us who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which I believe the New Testament teaches, that we, we don't want to go through suffering. We are afraid of persecution, and because of that, we hope the Lord will rescue us. Well, did you notice there in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, let me, let me reread this. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Same word where we get our word tribulation from. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Same word, even as it came to pass, and ye know. You see, Paul, when he was with them and taught them about the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, you know, in, in Bible prophecy future, when he taught them about that, it did not mean that they were not going to have trouble tribulation, small t, before the tribulation, capital T. He said, we told you we would go through troubles and pressures. He, he says, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. See, the Bible says in, in the New Testament, for all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Jesus told us himself, if they have persecuted you, me, they'll persecute you, right? So none of this is news. We already, already know this. And Paul taught the Thessalonians this. And he was very clear that, that we should suffer tribulation, small t, even as it came to pass, and ye know so the idea of those that say that there's not a rapture before the tribulation, that, you know, maybe it's in the middle or it's at the end, you know, or there's a partial trap rapture before the tribulation, the really spiritual Christians go, the ones that aren't stay. Hey, hey the point is those of us who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture are just accused of wanting to get out of suffering. 
Well, I've got news for everybody. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. That does not mean that we will not suffer for the cause of Christ prior to that. To me, I live in America, of course, but to me, I think that there's every sign that in America we are heading for a day and time where there will be legal, but probably also physical, persecution of believers who remain true to the faith of Christ. I mean, it's I'm no dummy. I can read the writing on the wall. How about you? But that doesn't mean that the church is going to go through the tribulation. We may suffer before that, but I don't think we're going through the wrath of God against a Christ-rejecting world. We've, we've been delivered from that because Christ took the wrath of God on the cross. He says that, that we should suffer tribulation. Now, let me give you a little diagram, and you can make it on a page as you listen. On one side of a piece of paper, write the word uh, uh, tribulation, small t, you know, the trouble we go through, the persecution we may encounter. Then from that word, kind of in the middle of that page, once you make a, like an arching arrow that goes from tribulation just a few inches across your page, and at the end of that arrow, put a little arrow point there, write the word triumph, you know, victory. We win. We get, we get to heaven, right? So you see that? Under that arrow that is between the word tribulation and triumph, I want you to write the word hope, H-O-P-E. And under that, I want you to write the word temptation. And that would be where Satan is, is giving us everything we can handle to try to get us to lose hope or to renounce Christ, right? And that temptation, maybe even draw some little like lightning signs or, you know, squiggly lines or whatever that indicates like tension or a fight back toward the word tribulation. All right, now, do you see what you're looking at there? You're seeing that when we go through normal tribulation, normal persecution for be belonging to Christ in this world, and we're only trying to make it to triumph, to victory, right? To heaven, right? Do you see that it's the bridge of hope over, over those difficulties we go through and how Satan tries to use them against us? Do you see that hope bridges that and puts us finally in complete triumph? Not only one day literally in the future, but I think even while we're going through the trouble, we can enjoy that sense of triumph. That doesn't make the suffering less painful it just means that it's not going to destroy our faith and ultimately we win, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we win. And that hope is like that, like Paul Simon saying about that bridge over troubled water. That's what hope is. But you can see that if your hope started wavering a little bit and that bridge starts to crumble, you're just, you're in a mess, Right? So this is what the Thessalonians were in danger of having have happened to them, losing that hope that they may be in the church, 
you know, alive at the time when the Lord returns for the church, that they would not go through the tribulation period. Or, and even part of that was that if loved ones had already died, was all hope lost for them because they didn't live until the rapture of the church. You see that how that could worry them? So all of these things are going to be dealt with as Paul gets into chapter 4 and 5 in 1 Thessalonians. But I want to close out, my friends, today with something I, I want to encourage you with. I have found a few times in my life when I felt like I've really come into a breakdown, and I don't mean a mental breakdown, although I felt that way sometimes, but just things just fall apart, all right, right? Your breakdown can become your breakthrough. You may never have heard that before, and I hope that hits you like it should. If you have heard it before, and if you forgot it, I want you to remember it. Your breakdown can become your breakthrough in Jesus, right? And with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can turn the things that break us into the things that make us, right? So if you're like the Thessalonians and you're saying, well, some of my loved ones have died. Christ has not returned to the church yet. And we're going through all this trouble and, and all of these people are saying, we're already in the tribulation period. And this is just getting, you know, things are falling apart. Like one of my favorite prophecy broadcasts says, things aren't falling apart. They're starting to fall into place. Amen. And so Paul, Paul wraps it up by saying, I'm glad to know you're still walking with Christ. Let's work on this hope thing. Because the very last verse of, of chapter 13 says, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So there's the return of Christ spoken of again here in this short letter of 1 Thessalonians. So listen, this is my counsel to you. If you're a Christian and you're going through a very difficult time right now, reboot and rebuild that hope because that's going to help bridge that, that, that be that bridge over the trouble and over the temptation to give up and blame God and doubt God. And it will carry you to final triumph. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I'm here to tell you you are hopeless. You have no hope because you currently are under the just and richly deserved judgment of God. It just hasn't been executed yet. So, well, who are you to say that to me? Because I used to be under that. That was hanging over my head until I realized that I was indeed a sinner that I, I truly needed Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, what he did on the cross when he died, taking the penalty of my sin upon himself. He was dead, buried, and resurrected again the third day, and he's coming again. And when I realized who, what I was, who he is, 
what he did and that he's coming again, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. I called on him in faith. And if that's where you are today, you can call on the Lord Jesus Christ as well to come into your life and be your Savior and Lord. And when Christ comes to live in you by faith, then you will have hope, the assurance, the certainty that if you die before the Lord returns for his church, you will instantly be with Christ in heaven. Or if you're privileged to be one of the Christians living when the Lord returns for his church, you will experience the rapture of the church. So, I mean, it's just exciting. And if that's where you are, then you need to pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior and Lord. If you need some counsel in that regard, maybe you have some questions, maybe you want to understand even better, I'm going to give you a phone number that I want you to write down. And you can call this phone number anytime during normal business hours, Monday through Friday, Eastern time, I would say, uh, 8 to 5 p.m., right in that range, Eastern time, United States. You can call 888-537-8720. One more time, 888-537-8720. And someone will speak with you about questions you may have or decisions you have made or need to make and help you go forward in your Christian life. Well, again, I thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope that you are are glad that you've come here today and that you feel like this has been a, a benefit to you. I hope that you will also let other people know about our podcast. They can find it at www.dredhill.podbean.com. That's D-R, no period after that, D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L.podbean.com. We can also be found, if you want to do it the hard way, on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, iHeart Radio Broadcast, and so forth. So let people know, because they need hope too. Let's keep hope alive. And I look forward to having you with us in our next episode in the Great Rapture Debate. Thanks for listening. God bless you richly, is my prayer. Amen.